So we welcome Dr. Caroline Marfleet, the Advanced Menopause Practitioner Consultant in Sexual and Reproductive Health, today to our Berry Physio podcast. Dr. Caroline Marfleet has been a consultant in sexual reproductive health for 25 years at Colchester Hospital, responsible for contraception, subfertility, menopause and unplanned pregnancy. One of her specialist interests are menopause and HRT, and Dr. Caroline Mafleet runs clinics both remotely and at the Nuffield Hospital, Ipswich, and also sees complicated menopause patients at GP surgeries in Colchester. It's an absolute pleasure to have her on our podcast today and an honour to discuss all things menopause. So thank you once again, Caroline, for coming on to our podcast. We'll thank start you. with asking you um, just about the definitions of perimenopause and menopause, because I still think although the media is improving the awareness of menopause and what the symptoms are, some females are still a little confused about the differences. It is confusing, I have to agree. The actual word, the menopause, comes from the Greek or, or Latin, menses being periods and pauses being stop. So it actually means the last natural bleed that a woman will have in her lifetime. Now, the average age of this is about 51 and a half for Caucasian women. It can be a few years younger in Afro-Caribbeans and Asian women, which is interesting, about four or five years younger. Um, so that's the actual, what, what the menopause is at an average age of 51. But of course, the range of that is 45 to 55. And obviously, there are women that will have the menopause outside that range. The, 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 the menopause is caused by loss of ovarian function and therefore loss of estrogen. Um, and estrogen is a very important hormone for the working, good working of many of the parts of the body. So we, we miss it in lots of different ways. The perimenopause is really that period of time that starts often sometimes seven or eight years before the final bleed, when women start to notice that things aren't quite right. So it may be some flushes and sweats, it may be some anxiety, it may be brain fog um, or irregular menstrual cycles. I suppose obviously if, if a woman's had a hysterectomy, it's less clear, or if she's got a marina coil in which stops periods, it can be less clear. Um, and it can be disguised by the contraceptive pill if she happens to be on the contraceptive um, pill. And obviously, if she has her ovaries removed, she will go straight into the menopause at that point. And that can be quite an abrupt, severe one. So many women will start to get symptoms of the menopause from perhaps even the early 40s onwards. Um, and when they've had their last natural bleed, we know that they're in the postmenopause and they'll be there for the rest of their lives. Basically, the ovaries will never work again. We have to be pertinent that some women might have a premature menopause. We call it premature ovarian insufficiency now. And this happens to about one in a hundred women under the age of 40 and one in a thousand women under the age of 30. So it's not unknown. So that's a brief description of the menopause. So the like, perimenopause, even though there are different forms of um, contraception, Caroline, in, in clinic I've seen, uh, a mixture of, of women's health patients and some are obviously on contraception some aren't um, and then some will will mention different symptoms and, and often be unsure what's 
contributing to them so is that something that they can still experience even though they're not absolutely um, I mean, it can be very confusing with contraception i mean the marina coil will stop periods but it won't stop flushes or sweats or anxiety or brain fog so that's possibly a little bit easier the combined contraceptive pill the sort that has estrogen and progestogen right. in hides some of the men menopause symptoms because it's got estrogen in um, but if a woman is taking it in the usual way with a, a a week's break then they may find the menopause symptoms come into the week's break but you know you know some menopauses are picked up when a woman stops the combined pill women on progestin only pills or implants things like that um they can get symptoms they because it doesn't contain estrogen so they can get flushes sweats but again may not notice it because their periods have stopped so you're absolutely right yes it can be very confusing sometimes. <laughs> and I think I've often heard women sort of refer to um, obviously their, their week's gap in their contraceptive pill as a period, um, which, you know, technically isn't true, I suppose, if they're not ovulating. So would, would you correct that sort of information or do you just sort of well, allow them to feel that they're, they're having a normal sort of bleed? I suppose in medicine we call it the withdrawal bleed because it happens because you've withdrawn the pill for that week. So it's not the same as a period um, at all. And, and women shouldn't ovulate on the, on the combined pill. <laughs> and it is, is that a healthy approach? And do you, would you advise that, um, you know, you often sometimes by medical have you been on a pill? Have you been on it for more than 10 years? Are there risks associated with, with these kind of uses of contraception or is it promoted because the evidence is there for being protective it, of the ovaries? There can be some really good um, reasons to carry on with the combined pill. So long as you have no other, you know, you're not a smoker, you're not overweight, you don't have migraines, things like that. Um, we know that it will, it, it really does regulate bleeds and, and reduce the amount of bleeds, virtually all pills will do that. And of course, generally, periods will get worse as women get older, nearer the menopause, heavier and erratic and prolonged sometimes. So that's a real advantage. It probably gives some protection to bones, as HRT does, bone density. Mm -hmm. It's certainly, um, we know very clearly that the risk of cancer of the womb, cancer of the uterus, cancer of the ovaries and cancer of the bowel are all reduced by having the contraceptive pill and um, arthritis too, it, it's better. So there are a lot of good reasons to carry on with the contraceptive pill. And certainly if you have no reasons not to have it, then it can be a good option. There have been some studies recently suggesting that with both the contracept well the, the with the combined contraceptive pill and more recently with the progesterone only pill that there may be an increased risk of breast cancer but the faculty of sex and reproductive health has looked very carefully at these and if there is a risk it is absolutely minimal um you know so it's not very clear cut they were observational studies so that probably is the only downside that there are a lot of good reasons to carry on with it um but you you, you need yeah. a healthy person i suppose and not someone with other risk factors definitely so talking about um what living healthy and what women can do for themselves entering perimenopause menopause what would what would you advise to them 
we understand there's quite a lot of strong evidence for use of calcium supplementation. Um, is that true? Are there other things that we could be doing as females going into that stage of life? If you're having a good, healthy diet, you shouldn't, and it doesn't have to consist of dairy if you don't like dairy and cheese, and because there is calcium in green vegetables and other things as well. So if you're having a good, healthy diet, most women will not need extra calcium. And I think, you know, that's what we all ascribe to really isn't it you know lots of fruit lots of vitamins a bit of fish a bit of meat if if you I mean you know you have to be careful if people are vegan I think because then they're more at risk of of losing some of the vitamins and minerals but a good healthy diet we don't recommend fad diets and things like that 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 can be catastrophic you know if you do need to lose weight I, I spoke to a lady actually this week who's really lost two stone over a couple of years by losing half a pound a week and that's ideal because she's more likely to keep it off that way you know she's she's done really well so I'm very pleased for her but I suppose one thing that I do often talk to women about is vitamin d because I I, in the northern hemisphere we don't get enough sunlight (laughs) and you know lovely sunny sunny days like today we're sitting in offices and not getting any at all (laughs) Um, so I think that might be worth considering and it's exercise is important um, the trouble with the menopause if you're feeling really tired and you're not sleeping well and you're lethargic and you're anxious and you're irritable and you're cross it can be difficult to get on your bike or get out with the dog or go swimming so at what point do you often find women come to you in your clinics are they are they usually at the very start of leads and sort of desperate for help and wanting to go on HRT or, or do they commonly try and struggle on a little bit longer before coming to you? Quite a variety of all that actually. I, I think a lot of women are better informed now and so they're coming along earlier and I've been speaking to a lot of women in their very early 40s about you know changes that are happening to them. Similarly I've spoken to a lot of women in their late 60s and early 70s wondering if it's too late to start HRT because they because of the scare stories about it about 20 years ago they missed out on getting it then Um, so you know it's quite a wide spectrum really of, of women coming up and some women like to see if they can go through it naturally so they'll you know look at the diet and try and do some exercise and perhaps go to Holland and Barrett and get some vitamins and minerals and um I had a a lady the other day who'd been doing that for three or four years and it just wasn't having a a good effect um so then they they you know talk about it I mean I think it's, it's great that it has become easier to talk about it now and more acceptable to talk about it um and and women are getting better informed as well um, some of that is down to the um, media coverage as well, isn't it, at the moment? Um, is, is there anything we should be cautious about what we're hearing in the media at all? There can be sometimes. I mean, I, I, I think you wanted to talk about HRT and dementia. Uh, because I, I'm on Twitter and do things like that, I don't tweet much myself, but I like seeing what other people are tweeting about. Um, <laughs> there's been quite a lot about it on it there and I've seen some quite high profile women um, on there talking about the dementia studies that were published recently they were published at the end of June from Copenhagen saying that that 
really it was a load of nonsense and that HRT has been shown to help dementia. And I think one has to be very careful about this is not 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 medical people talking about types of studies because you know there are so many different types of studies from observational cross-controlled randomized you know um, perspective um, retrospective mm -hmm. studies and you have to know what you're talking about really i think the situation with dementia is very unclear i i certainly wouldn't say there's any risk of it causing dementia or aggravating it um but and I, I think there there probably is good reason to suggest that, that HRT could help to prevent some neurodegenerative disease, particularly if they're caught, caused by vascular problems, because we know that estrogens improve vascular flow generally in the body. So, yes, I think you have to be a little bit careful what you read in the media and make sure it's coming from a, a good, reliable source. Caroline, if someone was looking at um, starting HRT, what would the sort of typical first line treatment options be um, and does that vary if they are currently on any forms of contraception versus not having been on anything, anything for a period of time before they they consider it 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 can be affected by if they're on contraception um i mean if they've basically hrt comprises for women with a uterus an estrogen and a progestogen Okay, and so if they've got something like the marina coil in, then they can use that. So long as the marina was fitted less than five years ago previously, then the marina coil will provide the progestogen component and you just need to give the estrogen. If someone's on something like the progestogen only pill, that is not licensed to provide that same protection. So you have to be a little bit careful what you're doing, but it doesn't mean they have to stop progestogen only pill they can just have an estrogen and a progestogen as well and that, that's not overdosing I mean they're, they're very mild these so the estrogens that we use in HRT are really virtually all in the UK body identical ones now whether they're tablet patch gel spray the progestogens are quite a varied bunch each with their own characteristics so we have some that are synthetic uh, that tend to be more androgenic and we have a, a, you know one or two that are body identical or body similar and so I suppose when you're talking to someone you know I always want to take a full medical history and a full family history too to make sure there's no risks of blood clotting in the family or stroke or heart disease or cancer and based on that I will then I suppose assess what that woman will want or need or what might be best with there are no blood tests that will tell you what dose you need you, you've got to go on that by mm -hmm. using perhaps standard doses and then working up or down from that um so i know there's a lot of um patches transdermal hrt which is patches and gels and sprays are very popular at the moment um because everyone thinks they don't increase the risk of blood clots um and they're easy to use and they've been championed by Davina McCall and Lizelle and lots of other people. There is a lot to be said for having tablets, I have to say, for the right person. And we don't tend to use tablets if you're a migraine sufferer because of the risk of aggravating migraines uh, or if you're very overweight. But for a lot of women in their, let's say, 40s who are fit and fairly healthy, a tablet can be very easy and very convenient. And 
um, you know, that, that they can often be combined with both the estrogen and progesterone so that you don't have to remember to fiddle around and, and do one for part of the month and one for the whole month. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's really clear. It just yeah, highlights how varied, you know, treatment options are and how individualised, really, they... Oh, it really is, because they're, they're all different doses and, you know, um, um, you know, we need to make sure that we're giving the right amount of oestrogen to manage the symptoms and that we're giving enough progesterone to balance the oestrogen and protect the lining of the uterus, because that's what the progesterone does. So how, how is that monitored? Is that through how patients are feeling or repeating Because you said it's quite tricky. To well, I suppose, if, yeah, if, if a woman settles onto it and it sorts out her symptoms and, you know, the HRT regimes that we use for perimenopausal women will give her a bleed every month generally. So you want to make sure that she's not bleeding too much or too heavily or um, and she's happy with it. Um, but if she's get it if it's not controlling her symptoms or it's not you know the bleeds are not very good or things like that then that's when you might want to try different doses or, or move around try different preparations so we usually advise women to try it for three months and monitor it see how it goes if they if they were taking it it's easy to talk about flushes because they're a very you know they're a good marker of the menopause in a way and so if a woman comes along and she's got bad flushes and sweats and you give her some HRT and they're perhaps a bit better, but they don't go completely. You might want to increase the dose and it might be you increase the dose and she's still getting flushes and sweats. And you might sort of think, well, why is she doing that? At that point, you may want to do blood tests for estrogen to make sure that she's absorbing it properly and it's getting into the system because different different types of HRT will absorb differently. So we don't routinely do blood tests, but we can do if if if, if necessary. And, and what options are available? So patients who've gone through cancer, um, I understand that they are not suitable to take HRT. So what, what um, options do they have? I suppose the, the really difficult one is usually breast cancer. If women have a very high risk of breast cancer or they have um, had breast cancer themselves. Most other bad medical conditions, <laughs> I mean, I have given HRT to women who've had a heart attack, you know, um, or a blood clot or um, have got high blood pressure because by giving the right sort of HRT, you can often help to manage what's happening. But breast cancer is a really difficult one. And particularly most women will be advised certainly never to think about hormones for five years after their diagnosis until they've been through treatment. I have in the end given HRT to some women who are a number of years post breast cancer and we've looked at it and because their quality of life is so poor. But yeah, if they, you know, obviously for other breast cancer women, there are some other drugs that can be useful. Uh, um, acupuncture has been shown to diminish um, blushes and sweats. It's not recommended to have things like black cohosh or red clover, but antidepressants can actually reduce flushes and sweats and they can be recommended in this situation. There are drugs called pricobalin and um, gabapentin that are used for other, and clonidine that may be helpful to reduce flushes and sweats. 
um, physio, I'm sure, you know, because a lot of menopause symptoms include a lot of joint aches and pains. So anything that will help in that respect. And I'm a great believer in yoga and Pilates and things like that and, and relaxation methods. Yeah. I think it, more than anything, it gives a woman time out on her own, if you like, <laughs> away from the stress yeah. of family life and work life. Yeah, and uh, and is it true that alcohol can interfere with the metabolism of hormones um, and so reducing or advising women to restrict or reduce alcohol intake? It, is, it is doesn't beneficial. interfere with the metabolism or absorption, really, but I think you have to be careful with alcohol and certainly alcohol will be worse with flushes and sweats. You, you know, women, it's one of the trigger factors for a sweat and a flush. And... But I mean, I think it can be quite easy for menopausal women with the anxiety, the irritability, all those things to go for a glass of wine, can't it? And then a glass becomes <laughs> You have to be careful. And we, we, the other thing, I suppose, is that, you know, if you're really overindulging in alcohol, you, you will have an increased risk of breast cancer. That's been clearly shown mm. from studies, along with obesity. So you, you need to be, you know, sensible. Hmm. Carol, I've had um, conversations with some patients where um, you know, we've, we've talked about sort of uh, menstrual health and perimenopause and some still feel a little bit conflicted about taking body identical or synthetic um, hormones, whether that's contraceptive pill or, or looking at HRT. Um, and I was listening to a podcast by Michelle Lyons, who does a lot of women's health education. Um, and she was talking about how ACOG have classified the um, uh, menstrual cycle as the fifth vital sign for, for female body health in terms of looking at good hormone regulation. Mm. If, if a woman's not on contraception and has um, a, a good sort of healthy regular cycle, um, the things that she was sort of mentioning as good considerations for maintaining that are obviously good sleep uh, nutrition and gut health hydration exercise and stress levels if you had someone who was really sort of resistant at wanting to sort of ingest if you like um synthetic or body identical hormones um would you would you suggest trying to manage perimenopause or, or menopause or menstrual cycle issues with those five elements and trying to really maximize health that way or would you still encourage consideration of, of, of hormone um, input? I think the menopause is a very different situation to young 20 year old women on the contraceptive pill who naturally are producing their own hormones mm. because HRT really is a replacement um, and, you know, particularly in postmenopausal women, you're not making really any estrogen at all. Um, we get a little bit from, from fat tissue and places like that, but we're not really. And estrogen is an important hormone for lots of parts of the body. We have estrogen receptors from the tips of our fingers, if you like, to the <laughs> top of our brain. Um, um, so it is a replacement. And I think we all feel that we'd like to replace it the hormones with the same sort of hormones that we used to produce which is what body identical hormones are um and i, th I think you know that that goes without saying really yeah. i think it's like, what is unfortunate is some of the progestogens 
we've only got one that's really body identical. We've got one that's um, body similar, they call it. And because the body identical ones become rather short in supply recently because it's been so popular, it can cause a problem in that respect. But I mean, I, I try and tell women these are just replacement hormones. You know, they're not over and above the hormones that you're making. And they are very, they're very mild hormones. They're not the potent synthetic ones that you need to block ovulation because these women are not ovulating. So you mentioned some other triggers, um, Caroline, um, that maybe alcohol can trigger hot flushes. Um, any other known ones that you would advise women to try to avoid, like spicy foods? And well, spicy foods, certainly. Hot, hot food, hot drinks generally. Caffeine can, hot drinks, spicy food, curries. But I often think sometimes um, social situations can do it. You know, if you're going to a party, mm then you're a bit anxious because you want to you know enjoy yourself and you dress up and you know and I think even a little bit of anxiety can sometimes trigger a, a sweat or a flush and they, they can be horrendous for some women you know literally every 20 minutes during the day and, and endlessly at night with great big sweats when you have to change the bedclothes you know two or three times a night sometimes and obviously, you know, the, we try and advise on clothing and layers and natural fabrics rather than, rather than synthetic ones. So go for your silk and wool and linen and cotton and not polyesters and things. And the same with bedding. I mean, you can get very good um, natural bedding fibres now. So, I mean, you know, do look to yeah. things like that. And if you sleep with your husband or partner, consider having two duvets you know he can have his nice big thick 12 tog and you can have a, a three tog one or something but still be in the same bed <laughs> so for women who don't have any HRT and they're postnatal um, are there any particular things you encourage them to do for maintaining sort of heart health bone health all of which obviously would have been um, aided by higher estrogen levels uh, before they dropped Postmenopausal, yeah. I mean, there are women that don't have it, don't want to have it, don't have too many. I mean, I, I never believe women when they say, you know, oh, my mother went through the menopause and never even noticed it. Because I, I, I <laughs> you know, your periods are going to stop. You're going to know that something's happened. <laughs> so, you know, we, the Easterns are, we know that women actually, if you compare women of the same, in the same age bands, pre and who are premenopausal and postmenopausal you'll find that the women who are premenopausal have a lower risk of heart disease than the postmenopausal women and it's lovely i mean it's a really you know um good study that was done showing this we know that estrogens are very good for the cardiovascular system for lipids for blood flow through the arteries um and so you know this is one of the risks of the menopause. And because we're living longer, of course, it's having more of an impact. When women only lived to sort of 60, they didn't have very long to sort of find out about this, really, I suppose. So heart disease, you know, we, we know that's a real risk factor for the postmenopause. Um, and osteoporosis, which obviously, you know, you, you'll know a lot about. Um, Men and women both lose bone density at the rate of about 1% a year from the age of about the mid-30s. And women have an accelerated loss of about 3 to 5% a year 
which is maximal in the few years immediately after the last menstrual period. And of course, this is the, the risk, the real risk of a premature menopause. If women have an early menopause, they're going to be much more at risk of osteoporosis, of heart disease and issues like that. That just highlights the importance of the, the sort of strength training and cardiovascular exercise, mm. the general fitness really, doesn't it, as, as we age? Yeah, all the things we do in physio. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Yes. So I think um I think we've gone through most of our questions we want to ask. We'll then just ask you what your top tips are for going through menopause. We always ask a, a top tip question at the end. Yeah, don't be frightened of it. it. It is going to happen to every single woman. You can't stop it from happening. So we do need to accept it. The women we really worry about, the women going through an early menopause, the very early menopause, who may not recognise it sometimes, do get help that you don't have to suffer. You know, find out as much information as you can. There is a lot of good information out there now. And the British Menopause Society is, is and Women's Health Concern are really good organisations for getting, giving you factual, well-researched evidence. So I'd, I'd really head for those. And, and Menopause Matters, which was started by a, a, gy a gynaecologist from Scotland years ago, 25 years ago. Understand what's happening. Realise what's happening. Don't be frightened of talking about it. There's a lot of good menopause cafes going on around the country now where women are encouraged to meet up and talk about their menopause. Um, because it, it's good to know that other people are having similar experiences. And I think as women, we're very used to sort of just trying to keep going with everything aren't we and pushing one foot in front of the other yeah. and I think it's a really difficult time for women because um or it can be you know women are having a babies later now and because we're living longer they may have elderly relatives around as well and we all want big careers and you know get up the ladder and so these poor women are struggling with their menopause issues while they're coping with young families and um elderly parents and and work as well and that's it can be hard it can be really hard so look after yourself take take time out for yourself I think that's really good advice yeah that's excellent <laughs> it's been so helpful and you've just got a wealth of um wealth <laughs> of information for us all and our listeners um it's always been incredible how much we packed into uh, a short amount of time so yeah. um thank yeah. you thank you so much um for for having the time to uh come no, and speak to us because i'm sure so many people are going to benefit good yeah, I, hope thank so. You I hope so thank you for asking me it's been delightful <laughs>